The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, the Prestige TV podcast. I'm Bill Simmons. I'm with David Shoemaker. We just watched Heels, the final episode, the season finale. They only did eight. I feel like they created the show just for us, David Shoemaker. It's about about storytelling. It's wrestling and storytelling. Your two favorite things. Well, that's it, right? I mean, Mike Waldron, who created this show, full disclosure, I know Mike a little bit. I read the script of the first episode way, way, way back. But uh, he's a big wrestling fan. Like, he's a diehard wrestling fan. But as you watch the show, what you realize is there's so much of him coming through, but less as a wrestling fan and more as a writer, right? I mean, it's this is, it's it's it sounds so silly to say, but this is like one of the, you could take it or leave it as a wrestling show. I think it's fantastic, but it's one of the best shows about like the creative process that has come along in a long time. Yeah, it really leans into it in a way that I guess could have gone terrible if it wasn't in the right hands, but that somebody who clearly loves the business, who clearly reads everything, who clearly thought about narratives and how the best wrestling storylines, they really kind of marinated and thought through and took care of and took their time with versus, Mm -hmm. you know, and we always complain about WWE with some of the stuff when they race through things or they, you know, they'll be telling a story, then they'll abandon it. Somebody will win a title, they'll lose it a week later. Yeah, the phrase that keeps coming up is they punish you for paying attention, right? And this is a show that's very much about the slow burn. And and it's actually not just the story that it told. I mean, the, the season itself was a slow burn. And I think it, it, you know, very deliberately so. I like stuff about brothers and rivalries and <laughs> sisters too, but like yeah. siblings is always like, I always feel like that's an untapped thing. So that's the heart of the show. Obviously it's these two brothers. I thought the pilot was great. The twist in the pilot that basically sets up the entire season in this kind of rivalry, weird relationship that uh, Ace and his brother have where it's just, 
you're like, are these guys on the same side or not? Is this going to unravel or not? And in a real way, their relationship was almost like wrestling. Where oh, for- it's like what we grew up with, with Hulk Hogan. And is Orndorff going to turn on Hulk Hogan today? Is Savage going to turn on Hogan? And it's the same thing with this show where I'm like, is Ace going to turn? Is he going to turn on his brother? And you're just waiting for it, waiting for it. Yeah, I mean, the, the first episode, the pilot, they did, in wrestling terms, they did sort of shotgun that angle, right? They should, and and you and they put them opposed. They put the two brothers opposite each other in the ring in a very real and literal way. That it leaves you a little bit wondering: Is that how what would really happen? Would he really do that to his brother? Whatever. But that story, they're able to sort of fill in the blanks as the season goes on, right? And yeah. then the sort of bigger story about well, listen, I mean, so much of the story on the screen is about. Who about turning somebody into a baby face or a heel, right? The num- the biggest good guy on the show wants to stay a good guy, but it makes business sense to turn him into a bad guy so they can turn him into a good guy again in the future. I mean, the show is really about that in a larger sense too, right? It's about people that you can't tell if they're good guys or bad guys and they're all trying to be a thing that they're not, right? They're all trying to, they keep making mistakes. They keep like, you know, not living up to what what's expected of them but it's about getting to that place in the end. Yeah, and also who gets pushed, who doesn't get pushed. Yeah. You have Rooster, who's clearly talented, the black wrestler in the show, who, the shorter one, not James Harrison, (laughs) who probably should be getting a push, and Jack's not seeing it for whatever reason, and he's really focused on Jack and Ace and how that storyline's going. Rooster ends up leaving, which is also a thing that happens all the time in wrestling, right? And then you have the rival promoter. It taps into the independent stuff too that we've you know is is part of wrestling is like you want to have a star in your local territory but you don't want the star to get too big because then he's going to leave how do you yeah. how do you take advantage of the up-and-coming star without actually losing the up-and-coming star which is the spot that jack was in with ace i don't want to get too meta meta here but rooster's played by alan maldonado who does deserve the biggest push of all in real life he's been absolutely insanely good on the last og and Blackish, and I mean, he's like everything he's in. He just likes it's just amazing. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's a it, it really does like it, it speaks to so many different aspects of the pro wrestling world. It gets it sort of winks at things that are going on in real life and real time throughout the show. It's so interesting, you know. Every the best a, a great show always makes you kind of want to be there, right? I mean, in, like you want in Mad Men, you want to like put on your suit and get out some scotch or whatever, and like everything like right. that. Have a cigarette, the, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, and, and but this show. I mean, this is maybe just too insidery, but by the end, I so desperately wanted to live in Duffy, Georgia, where you can go see like two or drive down to Florida and just see two like insanely excited small venue wrestling matches, right? I mean, it's just like people, the crowd's just like packed in. And at first you're like, yeah, that's a little bit big. It's a little bit Hollywood. But by the end, you're just like, oh, I want to be there so badly. This seems like just like this, like everything's at stake in the ring. And it is. I mean, it's, 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 it's really fantastic. Do these Duffy type venues exist as perfect in real life as they do in the show? No, I mean the place that the this place. I mean the the Duffy the dome. You know, it's a home of Duffy wrestling. You know, reminds me more than anything else of the Dallas Sportatorium where World the WCCW World Class was was based out of, and I got to go there in the you know late nineties, right? You know, in, in its dying days. As far I mean. 
as far ECW as ECW in the mid nineties, oh, yeah. there's a little piece of that too, right? It was, it was, it was the venue wasn't just wrestling, I guess, but it was, but when it, in the ECW days, it fully embodied that venue. I mean, that was the, and then was, NXT, the NXT venue is a little like this too. It's not, a, I don't think it's as cool as this little Duffy dome that they built. Yeah, well, same kind then, of premise. And then the Florida, I mean, the, the, FWD, Florida Wrestling Dystopia, like the Rival Federation, when they put on their big show towards the end, it reminded me a lot of kind of Lucha Underground. We're like, we're having this, we're like, we've turned this soundstage into Thunderdome, sort of, you know, and it, it, it definitely, so there's, there are definitely those places around. But the idea yeah. that they, that these places are running in small towns, I mean, that was, it's mostly a relic of the past because there's so much, you know, especially now wrestling on TV and stuff, it, it, it's harder to turn out giant crowds like that, you know? Was it just me or were you watching this show and thinking of the subtle AEW parallels with it of Cody Rhodes basically starting that thing? Yeah. You know, obviously more money, bigger platform. He was able to get a Turner relationship right away. So it's not, he was national. This is local, but same kind of thing where they were trying to zag against the WWE and, and really care about how do we build around six to eight guys? How does storytelling really matter? How does the actual wrestling really matter? And maybe that's a way we can beat WWE. I kept thinking about it as I watched oh, this season. Well, listen, I don't think it was, there were a lot of winks throughout the show. I don't think there was any coincidence that they needed to sell 10,000 tickets for their big, you know, state fair show, because that was like based, that's the exact number that AEW or that Cody Rhodes was trying to sell in his first, you know, pre like, you know, proto AEW venture. And there's some Cody Rhodes, Jack. There's oh, a, yeah. a couple of parallels there. There's, there's a lot going on there. It's funny because this, the show was conceived before AEW was a thing, but it's sort of the existence of AEW sort of gives the show a different sort of relevance, right? Like if you're talking, if it's like a small town Georgia production and they're, and they're saying, oh, we want to be the next W, we want to be the competition. You're sort of like, really? I mean, that's, you know, that, there's not a lot of room for that, but it does make it seem more vital and more interesting that when you, and when you see them put on a good show, you're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like there's a lot, there's a lot of potential there. You know I mean? It's, it's, it, it's, 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 it's made it, it made it, those parallels made it definitely cool. They, Lucked out with the two brothers, both of whom were really, really good and really, really believable as wrestlers. Stephen Amell, no, no surprise. He's was a staple at the uh, WWE shows. Sure, he was in Arrow, great athlete. And when I even heard they were doing this show, I was not surprised he was the lead. I think he really gets it. He cares about this stuff, but was also really believable. And it's not just about nailing the wrestling stuff. You nailing the promos nailing the way you come into the ring, nailing the way you talk to the crowd and how you raise and lower your voice. Like that's not hard. I, the other guy, Alexander, I can't remember uh, his last name who played ace also really good. I, those two guys, like I don't have a lot of criticism for either of them. Do you? No, not at all. I mean, it's, it's Alexander Ludwig is the guy's name. He's yep. absolutely fantastic. And I think if I remember correctly, they didn't make, I mean, they, they couldn't make the show at first when they wanted to because they couldn't cast those roles. And both of those guys kind of got out of I mean, like both of their initial engagements ended and they made the, they got to make the show based around them. Right. Right. So it was a, I mean, it was just so fortuitous. Like, I mean, it, it's so hard to cast believable wrestlers in fiction roles, right? I mean, it's like, I always think of when they, whenever they would do like football movies and it would just be like the same six fat guys who were just like, play, who, would, who would be the right. linemen just like hanging around the back. And you're like, that's not what, 
like a football player does like all football players don't actually look like Warren Sapp. They look like like scary monsters, right? Yeah. And uh and and but it always just seems so silly. Wrestling's even harder than that because it's not just it's not just being ripped, right? It's having a certain sort of like I'm strong, but also like I've fallen down nine thousand times body, right? And There's a continuity to how they move that they've just been doing it for a long time and you can just tell it's in their DNA. And I think that's so hard to translate. It, it really is. It really is. I mean, the, 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 I think it was episode, uh, was it three or four when they, we, oh yeah, it's, it's episode three when Jack cuts, comes to the ring and cuts the heel promo on the crowd. That was maybe until the very last episode, that was the most sort of pitch perfect moment of the show because it was so spot on. Like you mentioned, I mean, it takes a wrestling fan. You see when like when a when, when celebrities show up in WWE or whatever, you can tell who's a real lifelong wrestling fan and who's not because it's a different kind of acting and it takes a, a certain sort of lifelong addiction to it to really know what to do, to really be able to embody the role. And you saw that in Jack. You saw that in a lot of the creation of the whole show. It really felt spot on. And then so I mean like that heel promo with with the Jack cut and then CM Punk comes out as Ricky Rabies. CM Punk was, I was scared to death when I saw like the teaser of him. He was so good. And it was he really like, was. It, it was, was shocking. It was really fun. And then they were like, uh, I mean, the storytelling in that sequence was just unbelievable. There was like in the ring and then they had the girl, like the friends of the wife, like the girls who were coming to the show for the first time. And they were the sort of the avatar for your wife who's watching next to you as you're watching the show. But somehow you're like, then you realize you're cheering along with them and reacting the same way. And then Ace turns heel. And the whole, I mean, that was just an incredible sequence. And there's a number of them in the season where you're just like so wrapped up in just the sort of the narrative of pro wrestling in a very sort of authentic way. I think that the CM Punk episode, that was probably my favorite 15-minute sequence in any of the shows, just because they create this character who you're watching it and you're going, you know, this guy could actually work as a real, this guy, the WWE yeah. could just have Ricky Rabies and I would yes. be all in. I, like this guy could have a six-month run. Yeah, doing something and the way he was using his valet and the whole thing. But um, and by the way, that, I just want to say as a as the the southerner, the resident southerner in this conversation, I don't have quite the aversion to put on southern accents that I know you do for Boston accents. The accents in this show were a little bit all over the place. I've grown accustomed to that throughout my life. Yeah. But I just want to say for the record, I thought CM Punk's really like put on generic Southern accent. I'm told I'm more fine with that than somebody who's trying really hard and only getting 85% of the way there. Like it was, yeah. he was like, he was just being a guy, being a character and that's what wrestling is. And that was fine for the show. Yeah. I thought Stephen Amell, the first episode, I didn't feel like he totally had the accent down yeah. yet. And I was like, Oh boy. But like the third one, he had it. So it's just, it's like reps. He's doing it for a year. You're going to get and better with, at it. with the Southern accent, it's more reps than probably any other accent. Because here's the thing. In the South, not everybody talks like Gomer Pyle, right? Everybody has yeah. different variations of accent and not. So all you have to do is just have a, like a 1% of a Southern accent. And then the rest is just you being comfortable in the character, right? And just comfortable with the yeah. voice. So I thought, yeah, as the season went on, that just got, it, it smoothed out pretty quickly. Well, the other thing, they nailed almost every character on the show. Mm. The Chris Bauer character, who is my favorite character, unbelievable, culminates in him shitting in his pants. But one of my favorite, uh, so one of my good. favorite that guy actors. I've been with him since Eight Millimeter. He was in Sixty One. He was in uh, 
Oh, he was in The Wire. He played Sabaka. He's yep. just one of those guys. He was in uh, the the David Simon porn show. He's one of those guys where you see him and you're like, oh, I love this guy. I thought yeah. he was, I actually think he might get nominated for an Emmy for the show. <laughs> I thought was, he was that good. How about his promo in the last episode? It was like watching fucking Ric Flair. Well, watching him and Mary McCormick, when they were going back and forth, like, you know, in their, in, in, the, in you know, very personal ways, yeah. that was that was just as good as the promo work and setting those two things side by side in the show really made it, I mean, really, I think did a lot of justice to him as a performer. The Ric Flair airplane thing, another really just bizarrely coincidental bit of timing because like yep. Vice, Vice's show, Dark Side of the Ring ran that thing about Ric Flair and the plane ride from hell it, it, relative, right around the same time. But that, you know, so there was that, but Chris Bauer was, I mean, you called Chris Bauer that guy I mean, and, and he's and, Chris Bauer now, I think he was that guy for a while. Now he's then he became but, Sabaka and now he's Chris Bauer. I think. But Mike O'Malley, your friend who produced the show is a legendary that guy. I mean, he was out. Right. He's, he's obviously was a huge star of his own sitcom for a little bit, but like has has evolved into a that guy. But there's but I think Chris yeah, it's Bauer, true. he's like a, he's turned into a, that guy late in his career, even though he's Michael Malley. He yeah. kind of disappears into these different roles. And this show is so full of that guys that I think it, there must have been a little bit of a, like a deliberate decision there. I thought that Chris Bauer, because he's a main character, had to like relinquish the that guy championship belt. And the, that and yeah. I and this is might be controversial but I think Joel Murray, who was Eddie Earl, like the used car dealer, like grabbed the that guy championship belt during this show because he was the that guy of this show. But there were so, yeah. I, me I mentioned Alan Maldonado earlier. You know, I mean, Mary McCormick is a giant star to some people, but is sort of like a that woman to probably to well, a she, lot of people out there. A lot there. of people know her as Private Parts. She was Howard yeah. Stern's wife in Private Parts. But I thought she was, that's a part that just could have sucked. And she oh, was really she good. Was she had so, real nuance. Dude, she, I, I was... I was out on her for like an episode and a half, not because of her performance, which was amazing, but because I was so sure that that part was not going to work. Like it, like anybody else, it would have flopped. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be a flop. But she was so good. And by the second half of the season, it, she just takes your breath away every time she's on screen. I mean, and by the way, her role in this show is one of those, where, I mean, you know, you kind of give yourself over to the show. The, the staff of Duffy, the Duffy Wrestling League, is a little bit bigger, I think, than most. Than most. Yeah. What are they? What are they doing on this spare time? But she, but her place there felt so organic and believable that even though she's like the executive producer, and you're like, would they? Would that really happen? You just believe every second she's on the screen. She's just such a powerful actor. Yeah. What's her career path? Is is she making enough money? What like there? There's a that was the only one where I had some unanswered questions. Did anyone try to poach her? Did she mm -hmm. work for a bigger company at some point? She was great though. And then the other guy I loved, the guy who got his knee ripped up, who oh they they uh, really set up Bobby Penn. Uh, Bobby Penn. Bobby Bobby Penn is the cousin Greg of the show, right? He's yes. he, but he's like it's like maybe just because of the necessity of the the narrative or whatever he's sort of like fast forwards past cousin Greg, right? He like goes through this giant blossoming arc throughout the course of the show and you love him and you're att attracted to him exactly the same way. But he's, he's such a dope, but he's like you, but you really want to cheer for him. And on a show that's all about, you know, baby faces and heels, obviously it's the title. Like he's the guy that you don't usually watch prestige television shows and find yourself rooting for the actual good guy, right? The good guy is like the loser. And he's a good guy that you actually end up rooting for by the end. By the way, low-key best scene 
of Bobby Penn was when he's on crutches at the cookout and Ace is like do, f- filling his plate for him and put and he asked Ace to put on ranch dressing literally over everything. That might be the most authentically Southern moment in the entire <laughs> season. I can't tell you how real that is. Every time you're in a group of people eating, there will be a number of people, but certainly a handful who are just dousing everything, dipping, dipping things in ranch dressing. Like everything yeah. is ranch dressing. And it's 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 beautiful. When Bobby got his knee shredded by Ace. Oh. I was dev- I was devastated because I was really invested in the Bobby arc, and I actually think they. Well, I'm sure they'll have it pay off in season two, but I actually think they made a mistake injuring him that badly. I just I thought the show missed him the last couple episodes. He would I don't become think they one could, of my favorite guys. I don't think they could have known how electric he was going to be on the screen when they're just writing the character, right? And it it is yeah. something that's waiting for a future payoff. I mean, he's sort of an archetype. He's this sort of like wide-eyed, corn-fed, you know, just good guy. But he's, uh, he, but he does look like a wrestler. You know, it looks yeah. he looks like a guy that could be your top baby face. And I think 100%. they, and I think they will pay it off. That when when he messed up, when he broke his leg, I was so shocked at how in they went <laughs> in that moment. It wasn't just like, oh, you, he, he they twisted his ankle. He shouldn't have done that. He like straight up broke the dude. Like it was a compound fracture in the middle of the ring and they try to kayfabe it off. Like, oh, no, that's just part of the show. But like, that was intense. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I hey. said, I said knee. It was, I, I blocked that out of my mind. It was this, they basically Gordon Hayward at him. It was, um, it was wild. It was, it was, it was brutal. <laughs> they'll pay it. They'll probably pay it off next year and there'll be a good feud with Ace. Then they nailed the uh, Ace's girlfriend in the first part of the show who eventually wins the title. I thought that actress was fantastic. Um, yeah. I thought that that's another one where she she's pretty tiny in a way that kind of stretches the the believability of could she actually be in the ring. But then when you watched her, like she was really well-trained. Anytime she had to do anything wrestling, you kind of talked yourself into it. But she had, there was like a little bit of damage with her. Uh-huh. But like a little bit of hopefulness too. And it was like exactly the kind of person who maybe gets left behind by Ace when he goes. And then all of a sudden, five years later, she's got two kids and she's working at the local store and wondering what happened. <laughs> they nailed that character. She was great. Uh, she was fantastic. I mean, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet on the show that we have to mention is the very deliberate little homage to Friday Night Lights that starts the second the theme song kicks in and the pilot. I mean, this is this show is trying to make is trying to evoke Friday Night Lights at every turn. And it makes sense. Like this must have been the pitch meeting. This is like, hey, this is the wrestler meets Friday Night Lights. Right. I mean, it's like it's very like that's what they're trying to do. And I could have done without some of the music cues that like that were just trying to make you think of that. But as a comparison, it's a good one, and it's a strong, and it, it's it's meaningful. And I think, like Friday Night Lights, this is a testosterone-driven world. But you find that the 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 women are the real strength of the show, right? And yeah. uh, we talked about Mary McCormick, and her name is Kelly Berglund, who played Crystal Tyler. And I say her full name because they say her full name throughout the entire show, even after she's been there, like every second, they're like, Crystal Tyler tried out to be a wrestler today, which was just kind of awesome because yeah. she's not family. They, they always look at her sort of differently. But yeah, I thought I thought that was great. And you're right, she's small. But one thing this show did shockingly well is they didn't, they they leaned into the people's real sizes and shapes in a way that a lot of shows try to, or a lot of, and a lot of professional wrestling 
tries to sort of sidestep, right? Like I always say, it's okay to be a short professional wrestler because there's all these people with issues about size. It's okay to be short, but I want the announcers to acknowledge that this dude's short and not pretend like he's 6'5 when he's 5'5, right? And they did that. They called, they talked about how small she was. They talked about the improbability of it all. And then at the end, when she somehow becomes the champion, you buy it. And it's like, it's just, it was just so, I mean- it, it was so fulfilling that it, that ending. It was. I actually I didn't see that one coming. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought O'Malley, who we should, I, he's my friend, so I'm biased. But he was, I thought, awesome with the big beard. It just seemed like a different person. I thought he was going to come in the ring and grab the belt at the end, mm-hmm. and that was going to be the cliffhanger of, oh my god, O'Malley has their belt. Um, this is this is now that's going to be. Yeah. But no, all of a sudden, Crystal's climbing the ladder. And we have Chris Bauer with shit in his pants. We had the two brothers who just shoot fight at each other, mm-hmm. beat the shit out of each other. And then we have her at the top of the ladder. It was an awesome. And then Ace kind of half storming out, not knowing yeah. what's going to happen with him because he finds out about the Kleenex stuff. Really good ending. I think that some people watching this who aren't wrestling fans are going to, of everything, going to call into question the pants shitting part of the last one. But I, So we should point out for the record that oh, yeah. many wrestlers, including CM Punk, have shit themselves in the ring. Yep. And that is affected, you know, that becomes a part of their legacy. Um, yeah, that's so, wrestling lore. There's a lot. There's You could do a whole who shit in their pants website and probably have multiple chapters. But Wild Bill, Chris Bauer... Like that was such a believable like character moment for him where he was like, I'm not getting up because I've <laughs> right. shit myself. And then when he does get up, you're just like, Oh my God, my heart's oh, breaking. No. I mean, it's like I'm so like heart my heart is warmed by this moment, you know? And uh it was great. It was great. You're right about it, Michael O'Malley. He was he was such a delicious heel that like in some ways, like only the producer of the show would be would, would be able to go in. I mean, to be able to like just go all jump in feet first the way that he did. And only in a show about wrestling can you have a character like that where you're not where it's like he, he's such a bad guy, so transparently a bad guy, and yet like such a sort of believable character. We mentioned the characters that worked. We mentioned the Friday Night Lights tie-in, which is mm-hmm. what my wife's biggest takeaway of the show. She was like, "Why didn't they just use the explosions of the sky, whatever that, whatever that band was, <laughs> that Friday Night Lights? Like, just, just go the whole way. We, we yeah. all would have been fine with it, right? It would have been good to hear that again. But they definitely tried to do that. Um, the one character that didn't work was Jack's wife. I think they were struggling to figure out what's her role in this. So, mm-hmm. so basically, by the end, after eight episodes, it's she's trying to say like. I married a I married a baby face, but he's playing a heel and she's mm-hmm. having issues with it. But it's kind of like, all right, you married this guy who's running his dad's, you know, wrestling thing, and this is who he is. He's in the Duffy Dome. He's he's a wrestler and this is what he cares about. And in the first couple episodes, it seems like she's totally cool with it and she gets it. And then it kind of starts shifting over the eight episodes, and I'm not sure why. It almost seems like it shifted just because they couldn't figure out anything for her to do. Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, there's a lot of, I'm sure, noble lawnmower salesmen out there in the world, but Jack, I mean, is a lawnmower salesman when he's not being a wrestler. The wrestling thing is not paying the bills, right? So yes. it's it's not like, the, I think most people would be excited if their lawnmower salesman husband had a passion in life beyond lawnmower sales, right? So, it's, yeah. you know, that, that part is a little bit weird. I sort of just, not because of, Stacy, the character or the actress Allison Luff, she was an amazing performer. And but every time someone 
plays guitar and sings with just with nothing else going on on a show, I get a little bit uncomfortable as a, just an anxiety ridden person. Yeah, it's like was they a, were giving her, they were giving her a couple shots in the basketball they, game. They there clear, was a lot clear of that. for Allison. I think that most of the problem for me was that a lot of what a lot of her role was 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 like duplicative, right? I mean, like when she would talk to him about the storytelling process, like that ends up being a role that Ace takes towards the end, right? And at the end, yeah. Stacy sings the national anthem. That's her big triumph, and it but it but really it's overshadowed by Crystal's triumph as in you know becoming a wrestler and winning the match. So th there's just sort of it did seem like they were kind of wondering what to do with her. Now, she did manage to humanize Jack, who was without her. Well, in the beginning, Jack seems like, I mean, as she said, in the beginning, Jack is the baby face because he's the main character of the show and he sort of turns yeah. heel and she's able to give some sort of narration to that process and some depth to it. I just think that at the end of the day, her being her being so put off by the fact that he wanted to turn his brother heel with you know it, wanted it wanted to pull totally wanted to pull the marionette strings or whatever that just seems yeah. like something that you probably just laugh about you know it's like it's not it's not the end of the world although i guess you kind of have to just you know just separate yourself a little bit and just give yourself over to the show the drama between jack and ace was about him turning heel was you know it's melodramatic but that's yeah it's that's, that's i think that's there was a the better package. way to there was a better way to create tension with them like maybe jack cheated on her on one one thing three years ago and she was having trouble getting past it. Maybe he was covering up something for somebody else that she felt morally, you know, a, a lot of the show. And I think the funniest thing of the show unintentionally for me was just Jack working on the scripts of the show. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like he's, I don't know. Um, yeah. Like he's actually writing a television show. It's like, it's a wrestling match. These guys go out there. They just call moves. Yeah. It's not, it's not something it's like, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm planning out our our uh, our house show two Fridays from yeah. now. I don't know how long my, that would take. If my wife, if my wife was like, "Hey, we got to go. My friend's having a picnic for his kid's birthday. We got to go. And you know, it's going to be a few." And I and I was just like, uh, "No, I got to stay home and write out the script for the wrestling show I'm putting on next weekend." She might say okay, but she would not believe that I was writing a script for a wrestling show for those five hours. How long, you know, you know better than anybody. Like, how long would it take to actually script out? Five, five uh, I think matches on a card. I, I think it stretches. It stretch. It beggars belief that anyone would be okay with their significant other just sitting in front of a computer for that long to do something like that. But even if you factor in writer's block, I don't yeah. think most. I don't think most married couples with kids have room for writer's block in their life. Right? It's like True. if you if if your wife walked in and you were staring at a, a blank computer screen, and then like three hours later it was the same thing. I think she'd be like. Um, why don't you just you lean need, into you the need podcasting to see a psychiatrist. Bill? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it would. It's, he, he's it's, like, he's like Aaron Sorkin. He thought yeah. he was writing season two of The West <laughs> yes. Wing. It's like, settle down. You have, you have just guys clotheslining each other, and then somebody, the ref, the ref gets hit. Uh, squash match done. Next one. Yeah, take an hour. I wondered throughout the show if it would have been better off if they had been divorced when the show started and let you know just sort of like put that relationship a little bit in the background, but. It's yeah, they didn't plant enough seeds. I don't feel like with that relationship and that I was so comparing it to succession, which is coming back next week. I think one of the great things about succession and why I think it's one of the best shows of the last 15 years, every character is a home run. All of the eight, nine characters that we care about, 
I'm completely invested in them. And the character that should go wrong and doesn't is Connor. Connor mm-hmm. should be the one that he should be like the one that's like, oh man, now they got to have the Connor scene. I don't really care. But every time they go to any other character, I'm in. And the wife on this show was the weak link. Now we saw this happen in Billions too, where Axe's wife in the first two seasons, they were really trying to get going in all these different ways. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately it's just like, I don't know why she's here other than to just kind of get mad at Axe because he's a hedge fund billionaire, which is the guy she like, what, like what, this is who he is. This is who he married. There's nowhere to go. And they kind of had to shove her out of the show. Well, I mean, part of what makes Succession so great is that the, on the production side, they're as ruthless as the characters on the show, right? Because like <laughs> right. we had, there was like a lengthy conversation in Ringer Slack the other day about the fact that Roman had kids in the first episode and they and they were never, and potentially a significant other that was never mentioned again. Is that and, true? Yeah. I th- it might've been his like, his like girlfriend's kid. Like there's a lot of dispute over what was going on, but the, yeah. but the fact of the matter is whatever that was was never mentioned again and that's the sort of thing where like most shows would not have the confidence to introduce something and then just be like no we're going to concentrate on everything else right now you know yeah and that and and yeah i mean every show could probably benefit from that and i think that's a i think that's a definitely a reasonable take about this one one thing that they did really well was the flashbacks to the relationship with the brother with the father who killed himself which that's another thing that in the wrong hands could just completely derail the show and you could get completely wrong and you're like, why are we here? Why do we do this? But uh, I thought I thought all that worked too. Where Before we go, where do you see... The, I'll tell you the thing I'm worried about with season two. This guy, Mike Waldron, who created this show, who's like mm-hmm. a passion project for him, took years to make the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, now he's like a famous dude. He's yeah. he did Loki and he's going to have all these opportunities. To he's doing do all the Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I, I hope, I don't know. I have no inside information, but if this comes back for season two and it's not in his voice or he's like overseeing it, but somebody else is actually writing it, that makes me nervous. Yeah. It's funny because you mentioned their dad, Tom Spade, played amazingly by David James Elliott, who again- Jack! Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he's a that guy now too. Uh, No, he's Jack. He's Jack for life. I mean, I think one really fun thing, I don't think they'll do it because obviously they're leaning into the the characters that they have and the Friday Night Lightsness of the whole thing. But I think it'd be super fun if season two was just like Duffy Wrestling League 1995. Let's just spend half the season. Let's just spend half the season. Like in Lost, we just go backwards? Yeah. Just have Chris Bauer and David James Elliott playing young and get some other wow. dudes around them and just like, let's just drink beer and, have, you know, let's just have a good Spin time. Off. Um, you know, the best thing that this show has is you you can just have people coming in and out. Yeah. They could introduce three new people in season two. They could make Ricky Rapies a full-time character. There's, you know, you can dump a character that's not working and you can just have this constant evolving door because that's what it's like when you have a small wrestling thing like this. People are coming and going constantly. Mm-hmm. No, they, yeah, I mean, they could definitely do that. I think that what, I think they did a really good job of handling the number of characters that they had, especially in the locker room where that can get real messy and confusing and everything else. I mean, they did a good job of, the different characters had sort of archetypes, so you could easily yeah. delineate them James in your Harrison. mind. James Harrison, yeah, he's like James the big. Harrison was his name. His wrestling name was Apocalypse, which is just perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean they could they could they could definitely do that. But I think I mean I think that if you, if you want to try to imagine where it's going to go, I think that we have most of the information right in front of us. I mean, we talked about. I mean, I think that frankly they'll probably lean into Stacy to figure out really the the significance of that. You know, the the main relationship in the show, and then. 
you know, the the the, the main role is uh, Kelly, you know, Crystal is going to be a huge player. She's the new champion. They got to figure out how to validate that post facto, yeah. you know, and are they going to do a bunch of like intergender matches? They're going to like, you know, introduce more women onto the show because they could do that too, you know? Uh, I, I mean, and, and frankly, I mean, Jack and Ace, I mean, they're going to be half of the show no matter what happens, right? I mean, they're just th- those two brothers trying to figure it out. Maybe well, unless, maybe, unless, well, this is my prediction. I know oh, I got an idea here. Okay, go. I think Ace goes and, and goes to Florida and works for O'Malley. Oh, and I think we move toward a possible merger of the two territories. I'm glad that and you that said that. that becomes the season two crux of Ace becomes the biggest star in the Florida territory and feuds with Rooster. Jack figures out, he's got Wild Bill, figures out some young person. Crystal becomes a big star. Somebody might poach her. And now it's like he his side is falling apart. The merger would be the only thing that saves him. Now he needs his brother. Now his brother has to pull him in. Now that now the power relationship is flipped. He needs he yeah, he he need he needs the merger. I like actually like that a lot. I think that's a really good idea. I could see that one going. Then we get I, more O'Malley, we get Ace, we get we get a little more Rooster. Charlie Gully, by the way, is Mike O'Malley's character's name, which is just an all-time great character name. There's a lot of good names in this show. I think that I, I would I think I would love to see that. Little, I mean, what, maybe Bobby becomes the big the big face in season two, because we all love Bobby, more Bobby. Yeah. So maybe Bobby Bobby versus Jack is like the big rivalry in the, but it's not enough. They need to merge. No, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. My, I mean, one of the things as just a wrestling geek that I was, that I kept thinking throughout the show is that, well, one, I wanted to see more just wrestling because they were doing such a good job of it. But two, yeah. that I specifically wanted to see the rival wrestling company that I wanted to see, you know, FWD or whatever. Like I want, I wanted to just like engage in full matches over there and see who their big characters were and like see see what the appeal is of this show obviously they talked about it being bloodier and whatever else and more excessive and they showed us uh, you know some but yeah when if you when you start talking about a merger it makes me think like oh man i would just love to be i would love to be rooting for the merger and if and in order to really root for the merger you got to be thinking oh man i want to see jack take on the top guy over there in Florida, you know, that because that's what you would always if you if you lived in Georgia in the 80s and you miraculously or if you lived in the panhandle of Florida and you had access to Florida and Georgia wrestling, these are the things that we were thinking all the time, right? I yeah. want to see like Dusty Rhodes come and take on the Andersons. Like I want to see like I want to I want to see these two worlds collide. But it's because you get to see him and you get to enjoy him and you don't care as much about the rivalry. I mean it's like a college football rivalry. It's like you you're you're animated by it, but you don't really want to get into like you don't really want to punch the other guys in the face or maybe you do and I don't know who knows but I think I would love to see to get more into Florida and more into Mike O'Malley and and all that stuff and and, and I think a merger well they also have they fun. have another card where they can have the big wrestling federation which we haven't we don't really have a feel for but they could basically parody Vince McMahon and have the aging bombastic promoter come well, in and try to like poach Crystal basically Okay, so I mean, this is, I mean, I know we have to put a pin in this soon, but there is a there's a scene where, we mentioned it before, where Chris Bauer is Wild Bill. He gets drunk on a flight, comes out naked. Actually, yeah. shockingly, really naked. I mean, there was a lot of, there, there, yeah. was some, there was some legit male nudity going on in the scene, <laughs> yeah. which is fantastic. Um, and then he gets, of course, like fired by the by the the company up north which is like WWE i mean that's obviously yeah. that's but then when he he comes out and does a press conference to sort of publicly apologize and kind of goes off script he cuts what he he 
basically cuts a promo, like a wrestler promo, but it's the but the content of it is the sort of like Roddy Piper, like the po- like the post wrestling complaint like anytime there's a big feature on hbo or whatever about what happens what you know what happens to these wrestlers after their careers he puts it into poetry and it's weirdly like the most one of the most compelling cases against the wrestling industry that like that you could see in a concise scene yeah and it's i mean it's really sort of just heartrending but it's packaged in this love letter to pro wrestling which i think makes it in some ways even more powerful Last question. Who should have been more hurt and offended that they had Mick Foley play the podcaster <laughs> um, who goes and interviews Jack? You or me? I mean, ultimately, whose feelings oh, were more deep man. down singularly hurt? Well, I mean, if it had been you, I would Would you been- have wanted to play yourself or would you have wanted to play like like Derek, Derek Foo maker. So they twist your name. My my fake name is Davis, Davis shoemaker. Uh, I would have been Simon Williams. I could have been the Simon Williams report. Yeah, that's great. I mean, the the guy was playing, Mick Foley played the role, was playing an ex wrestler who this is a podcast. I would 1 million percent listen to. Yeah. Wait, can we have this? And an ex wrestler, like digging into the details about pro wrestling from like rural Georgia, who really cares about this local promotion and, but like keeps it real. I mean, I don't know that that person exists in real life, so I don't know who to compare. I don't know who should have been playing that role, but I would listen to that podcast if it was out there. Another possibility for season two. All right, we have to go. Kai McBone produced this podcast. Myself and David Shoemaker are on it. We have a lot of good stuff on Prestige TV podcast this week. We have Scenes from a Marriage, and we have a ton of succession stuff coming. So there you go. Uh, be ready for it. Thanks, Shoemaker. It was good to see you. Oh, it was great to see you, too. And thanks to Heels for existing. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks. Bring back season two. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.